everyone. Welcome back to Central American Voices. I'm your host, Alejandra Quiroz. Gracias por sintonizarnos una vez más. Today we are with Melissa Vida. She, her pronouns, is a Salvadoran and Belgian journalist, founder of Central American News, a weekly newsletter. She directed a documentary, Resucitare, um, reborn on Oscar Romero's legacy in El Salvador in 2019. Her work about Central American asylum seekers and environmental issues has been published in the New York Times, NACLA, and El Faro. She currently edits Latin American Story at Global Voices and Central American News. Welcome, Melissa. Welcome to being here on the show. It's an honor for me to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much, Alejandra. The honor is mine, really. It's so nice to meet you. So... I'm 100% sure most of the people who listen to the podcast knows about Marisa Vida. Because if you don't, I'm going to be like, really? <laughs> she does an amazing, amazing, amazing job um, in Central Making News and all of the articles that she has written and edited. Um, uh, but let's start, Melissa. I wanted to ask you, how was your experience growing, growing up as a Salvadoran Belgium and being born in the in the way yeah gracias first like thank you so much for this kind word Alejandra it's very encouraging for me to hear really um so yeah I I mean I was I was born I was born in Los Angeles um in 91 <laughs> so my, my mom so yeah my mom left during the Salvadoran civil war and she met my dad who was Belgian in LA uh so I was born there uh and I had a lot of family Salvadoran family mainly growing up uh, in LA, so I felt very, um, how do say, like you know, mm-hmm. in in a community, I guess, with them, with my cousins and all. And then for our family decision, uh, we moved to Belgium when I was seven, <laughs> so that was a long time ago, in '98, <laughs> still in the '90s. <laughs> um, and yeah, so it was kind of like a family rupture for me, and a cultural one actually. And yeah, so growing up in Belgium since then has been kind of, has been hard because I've been kind of you know uh, ripped apart from my my Salvadoran family and also culture in a way. And then I had like a lot of you know my mom really speaking Spanish with my mom and then English or French with my dad. And um, and yeah, I mean, going to school it was like you know only white kids or you know uh, so. It was it was difficult in high school. Yeah, I mean, I would then gravitate towards um, people of color, women of color, and I found them a lot at church actually. Um, and so I got I, at some point I went a lot to church, you know, for personal and spiritual reasons. But then I realized also because I was like hanging out with a lot of uh, mm-hmm. you know people of African descent mainly, um, and some South American South American. So mm-hmm. I was hanging out with some Bolivians, and you know. Having no idea what being Salvadoran was, mm-hmm. apart from some events at the embassy where we're dancing cumbia, I remember being ten, and we would go like to these, uh, you know, these little parties organized by the embassy, and I was like, oh my god, cumbia, and I loved it, and I bought the CD, or I asked my parents to buy, buy the CD of cumbia, and I was like listening it to the car, like all these like famous Salvadoran cumbia songs, and I was a big fan. I was feel- really feeling it. <laughs> um so yeah I mean so yeah that was that was um it was it it took me a long time I think like I always felt like oh and I enjoyed I was very privileged to be able to go back to 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 El Salvador from time to time every few years Mm -hmm. my my dad was pretty supportive in that financially speaking um because yeah Mm -hmm. from Europe to El Salvador you know the plane ticket is expensive so and that really impacted me so much to be able to be, you know, in, in more co- like physical and emotional contact mm-hmm. with, with my family in El Salvador as well, as well. Um, and yeah, so then later, my, way later as, uh, after I started become a journalist, there was like more and more, um, people from El Salvador coming mm-hmm. to Belgium to apply for asylum, including my own family, some family members. So there was like the second migration wave in my family, if you will. The first one being the generation of my mom. And now it's like, you know, younger, younger people, my cousins. And so some of them came here, but they were part of a larger mm-hmm. group of people coming. And so it was really weird for me. I'm like, I'm not going to hide. Mm-hmm. Part of me was really happy to see them here. Mm-hmm. 
and it was very bittersweet, of course, because, you know, the situation here was is super difficult migration wise mm-hmm. and they had to like leave everything in El Salvador, knowing you know, all the trauma they, they've gone through and different forms of violence and all of that and receiving institutional mm-hmm. violence here in Belgium. And then for me at the same time, so I was like grappling with that and my family kind of like having the second rupture and me, I was like, oh my God, I'm having more cousins here. Yay. Mm-hmm. So, and more friends and all that. So it was like, mm-hmm. you know, it was really bittersweet. So all of this movement actually came to, I mean, now I can like mm-hmm. in August, we've had the first Bupuseria opening in Belgium, which is like a huge, 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 huge deal. Like, and now I hear sometimes Salvador in Spanish in the street, oh. even down my street. <laughs> and I'm like, and I stop and I talk to yeah. him because it's kind of still rare, you know? So I'm like, oh my god, it is a, you know, it is a level, and then they're like, yes, <laughs> we recognize the accent from a mile yeah. away. And I have a little flag here in mm-hmm. my apartment, I hang a little Salvadoran flag. I'm like, maybe someone will pass by and recognize it. You know, who knows? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no central, there are not many Central Americans, or now there's a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah very recent migration, yeah i think that but... was one of the things that i was gonna tell you because i i mean i was always very curious um even though like since before we talked about the no, before recording i was like i kind of want to i wonder how was her experience because you told me you move at seven you know what i mean and then like this is for young and like the disconnection and i can only imagine how belgium is especially not having a lot of um what's it called so Central American, Latin American kind of culture around it. So I was like, I bet it was kind of hard. Um, but I remember, I think yeah, no. Susana was the one who told me. Susie, at the beginning, I think probably she said it on the episode. I am not sure. But I think she said about that there's a lot of probably recent migration. Yeah, that it was a bigger, more uh, migration of Salvadorans going to Belgium. And she mentioned to me, do you know about the new first Pupuseria in Belgium? I was like, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So that is so crazy. Yes. And then I feel like now, I mean, like you said, it's a bittersweet. We all know why people are migrating. And I mean, they all have different reasons and, you know, how you felt with your family arriving there. Um, but it's like, oh, my God, yeah. And like stuff like that. So I feel like that at least gives you a bit more connection with Salvador that is miles away from Belgium. Yeah. And just, yeah, with family, with, and then with broader people, yeah, with, with other people, also with El Salvador. And yeah, I mean, and also I was really, really happy and it also changed me so much to be able to travel also to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. more frequently actually as a kid as a kid and let's say teenager it's always been my summers with my cousins in LA mm-hmm. and in Koreatown and so you know it's super weird because then I come back to Belgium my experience is so different but now years mm-hmm. later I connect with people like you you know from mm-hmm. LA I've never I mean, never it's been a long time I hadn't been in LA and I don't have that mm-hmm. yeah upbringing but mm-hmm. I've had glimpses of it. And so I couldn't connect to it in some, oh. some levels, like Elivorio mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> like very LA stuff. Like, oh, I know what it is. And, you know, and, and so I have glimpses of it, but mm-hmm. I haven't really like full time, let's say, live there. Okay. So it's just bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. And then, I mean, I feel like it's still it's really good that you always kept the cultural you know like you always wanted to be in touch with your cultural side from and side of a lot as well from you know your dad's side which is the Belgium side um because I will feel that at one point moving from from LA where it is a lot of like a mix you're gonna like there's a mix um going to a place where you don't have a lot of not only representation, but people who might speak your language, although you only your mom speaking uh, Spanish and um, stuff like that. I will only assume, and probably in general, um, sometimes it tends to be a more like broad of like separation of cultural from your mom's side. But I felt like you kept it. Even, even my mom is so Salvadoran. 
Honestly, it's like you cannot escape it. <laughs> you cannot escape it. You're like, no. <laughs> My mom, like, always talking with us about always mentioning oh. it, always reading the news. I think maybe that oh, shaped okay. me. So always reading the news and telling me, uh, briefing me and of the family. And Melissa, come speak to your family here on Skype with like three pixels on it, you know, back then. Uh, you know, and so, yeah. Mm, yeah. So, oh. and I, yeah, I love her so much. But yeah, oh, she's uh, so nice. she's been like a really for like a great mom that also like this uh, cultural powerhouse for me. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice! Yeah, <laughs> say hi to your mom. I don't know what you know, but say hi to your mom <laughs> and be like, "Yay, mom, you kept it." <laughs> uh, but now that you mentioned news, um, you know, I would mention that you're uh, you're a journalist. Um, so I wanted to ask, how was your journal like your journey as a journalist? What what was the what inspired you to become a journalist and kind of like, yeah, yeah. All the work I mean, there's so many reasons to that. I mean, here mm-hmm. I'll, I'll I'll confess, like after 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 studying, I studied political science here in Brussels, and I worked in the mm-hmm. kind of like corporate environment, mm-hmm. which was horrible on so many different levels. And I was like, to be honest, I felt like in a bubble. Like I was in touch with a lot of people from very different backgrounds and ethnicities and all of that, but I felt like I was like, there's something wrong about society. And I don't know what, okay. There was not mm-hmm. much, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what, I don't know where to find information. I, I studied political science to try to understand power, but mm-hmm. I felt like I still didn't get it mm-hmm. truth, truthfully. So I was like, okay, I'm going to become a journalist because I want to learn. I want to know, I want to interview so many people so I can see for myself and talk with them to understand the freaking world. And why it's so wrong, <laughs> you know? <laughs> really, like I was like, I, I just had this hunger to to understand what mm-hmm. was going on. Um, and so, my then boyfriend at the time, we traveled to to Mexico, and I kind of like threw myself as a freelance journalist after saving money from that other job. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, and Mexico also like was a huge learning experience, like. And I opened my eyes a lot by living there and by reporting. And I was like, okay, I'm starting to understand. I remember the conversation we used to have back then. Uh, it was also the beginning of Central American Twitter. So I was also finding this digital community. It was like a lot of stuff going on at that time. Um, it was in 2017, I think. Yeah. And so in Mexico, I really saw like, okay, I'm starting to understand where the, the inequalities stem from. Because you can see it in Belgium, but still, I feel like it's like very bubble, like a bubble kind mm-hmm. of. Because we, and you know, in, in Western Europe, we kind of benefit from all the colonization and the extraction. Mm-hmm. There are inequalities here as well. But it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, there's like, can see it at broad daylight. And it was very, mm-hmm. very informative for me. So I guess that's like, was like the first reason and then the second, and then it's, you know, evolved. And then mm-hmm. it became a lot about finding more about um, my roots as a Salvadoran. Because as, as I mentioned, I knew I was Salvadoran, but I wanted to know more of what it mm-hmm. was and getting more in touch with my family and how they were impacted by all of this. And I know my mom was talking about things of, you know, sometimes things about the war. And I wanted to understand what mm-hmm. the hell and what's, why El Salvador is being like well, being a like, mm-hmm. how how why is it is now the way it is and so mm-hmm. i really then focused a lot on central american news from then i kind of like like i left mexico and started really focusing on central american news um in general and el salvador and specifically visiting my family and learning and so it became kind of like almost this personal project as well like as i was like doing stories I was also mm-hmm. understanding myself and my own family because, you know, a lot of our stories are very, not similar. Oh, yes, they are similar. Like you, had, you, you can find common things, right? Mm-hmm. So that was like, for example, doing the documentary on, on Monsignor Romero. I was doing the documentary on like his legacy in El Salvador. But through mm-hmm. that, I was also talking about Romero with, with mi tia, right? And she was like, mm-hmm. tell me all these family stories around him and the relationship with him or with his mm-hmm. image back at the, you know, uh, back, uh, back then. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's what I mean that I can, I was learning on like both, like on a personal both side sides. and a societal side, mm-hmm. like, okay. <laughs> like that mm-hmm. <laughs> both at the same time. 
Uh, and then when I felt like I could, um, that I started to understand things more on a personal and societal level on, you know, the roots of inequality, power, unfair, unfairness, is that a word? Injustice. I felt like I could, you know, tell stories from a Central American perspective mm-hmm. then and really became a thing. Like, okay, now I understand. I understand that not journalism is not objective. That is a lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, saying that journalism is objective for me is just who is objective. It's always, mm-hmm. you know, you know, white man in power saying that is mm-hmm. objective. No, it just means that it's his point of view. And mm-hmm. I've like been going through like, uh, that was like such a big like learning curve for me, like mm-hmm. unraveling that and learning that and working with this at the same time, like questioning it. Oh my gosh. Anyway, <laughs> I think I'm going like on a tangent here, but, um, but so I was questioning a lot. What is journalism? So for me right now is like being in the most intellectually honest, uh, with, mm-hmm. uh, with, with, with the facts and also being very careful because every time you write or do something, it becomes, it becomes a narrative, whatever you do with it, it mm-hmm. will become a narrative. Um, and so, you know, being intellectually honest with the facts that you, that you're presented and be responsible with it and create and mm-hmm. yeah, and creating and a narrative like any other journalist is mm-hmm. doing, whether they are aware of it or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm, definitely and you know i felt like you're you were so hungry to learn that one thing that I, when you were talking right now i was like whoa mm-hmm. you went to study political science and then you went to the place where you're like you're like i still cannot get it mm-hmm. and i'm like i feel like that's how like i don't know i visit que la politica sometimes you we feel that we can understand and we try to understand it and we read and we try to learn. And it's like, we don't understand it. It's because how can I, maybe, maybe it is wrong, but you tell me it was right. Maybe because we're not, we're just seeing this little part because I, I mean, people were not so gonna see it, but you know, we're seeing like <laughs> this little part. But the reality is that the reason why we don't understand most of the fact that, that comes with society and politic, but politica and power is because we're learning and trying to revisar and aquí. But the reality is that the power is right here, and those are the people who are benefiting from it. And we will, like, even if we try, they will try to cover it up. Yeah. Then today I'm like, duh, Melissa, you're not going to teach you <laughs> critical history or critical <laughs> political science or for me, you know, the truth or at least mm-hmm. a huge aspect of the truth. Uh, you're in the seat of it. Like, come on. <laughs> you're only studying in Brussels. <laughs> what the hell, you know? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, you can, from the, from the belly of the, of the beast in a way, it's hard, you know, to, to mm-hmm. understand and to, to, to passively receive that when mm-hmm. the narratives were really like i'm probably like the teachers i don't remember this but it's just an example where the teachers were probably just repeating that christopher columbus discovered america's you mm-hmm. know without yeah. any sort of like <laughs> explanation yeah. or like critical thinking with regards to that so mm-hmm. and this was mm-hmm. already like 10 10 years ago when i was in university mm-hmm. hopefully things may be a little bit changing but i'm not sure so mm-hmm. yeah yeah, but you know, I I honestly like that you went to Mexico and you started writing about the stories, and then uh, I mean, you then you moved to like Central American news. But I feel like, for what I'm taking is that you started writing stories and doing journalism from the people's point of view. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, and I've yeah, and I feel like for me, I feel that's the most beneficial way because I tend to say that you learn. I mean, I will probably repeat this so many times, but, you know, you learn your best, you know, advices and your best things from other people's stories. Um, but at the same time, when it comes to journalism, that's when you see um, the reality, right? Because some person can tell you, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put yeah. Oh, yeah, I donated blah, blah, blah money in this community. 
did that and then but you won't go to that community and it's like no we didn't receive nothing you know what i mean mm-hmm. so like what i what are journalists actually covering either you're yeah. covering the privileged ones who says that they did or you're covering those who did not receive nothing you know and th- this is like a um a general like you example and um and that's how we say and then this is a question that you know i i mean i kind of want to go more in depth um but at first i want to ask you about central making news because you did um said that you got more um focus after you went to Mexico to Central American News and you're the founder of Central American News and I cannot tell you how much you have helped me to stay in touch with Central America because I really I think I follow the Central American News Instagram way before I started the podcast and it was so good that I was able to see it every Monday or Tuesday a little like cuadrito on Instagram and read the I don't know, like the most important news that happened that day in, in Guatemala and Honduras and Salva, you know what I mean? It was so like, because I mean, vamos a ser sincero, now people don't go and buy a newspaper. They're not going to go read it, you know, like unless they are like invested in, you know, having that accessibility to have in social media and also in my email, you know, like. I was like, oh, I can like I can see the art. I can see the article there and it will take me to somewhere. Central making you have not only I, I'm a hundred percent problem, but have helped me be in touch and be more up to date with the news that I know I cannot just look for it. So how does Central Make You News ideas started? And I know you have a whole team. So yes. tell, tell me about it. Yes. <laughs> tell me about I'll- that before we go more in depth about your awesome. <laughs> Yeah, no. So yeah, Central American News. Well, it, it, it kind of started when I came back from that year in Mexico and El Salvador. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to, you know, stay in touch with Central America. I want to know what's going on. Uh, and I com- I did completely distrusted first mainstream uh, US uh, news. At that time, it was a lot of coverage about the so-called migrant caravans. Um, who are, you know, the, let's say it was like all over the news, you know, either po- more positive, quote unquote, positive narratives or completely negative narratives because, you know, it was like under Trump era as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I say quote unquote positive, it was for me still not great because it was very stereotypical or, you know, the headlines were like, even in the most em- empathetic cases, I would say, you know even if they're not, say, like, hordes of migrants are invading mm-hmm. our country, no. Or it would be, like, people, uh, migrants fleeing poverty and violence, you know, this and that, but never explaining the root causes. And I was like, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and then and I knew that in a month, no one was going to be talking about it anymore. I knew it, because that's how the news cycle, like, fast news cycle works, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, uh-huh. and also what was going on in Nicaragua at that time mm-hmm. of the government repression, uh, Ortega against a civilian, it's uh, his uh, Nicaraguan civilian, sorry. And I was like, no, we need to like keep track of, of what, what is happening. And, and then, and then what became increasingly um, important was to, was to keep track first from, first it was for me, honestly, <laughs> the first time I did it, I was just like, <laughs> oh, I'm just gonna, I like lists, right? So I was just like, okay, I'm going to see the news from all these countries and write them down. And I was like, hmm, I could actually share this, I guess. <laughs> so I just put it on Twitter, like, okay, I made this list for me. And, and then it was like, people people enjoyed it. Um, so that was cool. I was like, oh, okay, nice. So I can continue doing it. And basically, we've, never, we've not stopped since then. And so, um, and so I was like, okay, to be, to be able, you know, to grow, to be sustainable and all of that, we need a team. And so that's when, you know, I, hired, I started hiring uh, volunteers, always like, you know, not working too much per week, like two hours, you know, collecting news and curating news, which is super important, selecting the news um, uh, to, to put out. And, uh, you know, I respect them so much. Like they've been, you know, with this journey for for almost, I don't know, like, what is it? Like th- three, three, three years? Was it? Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> three years and a half, like almost. Yeah. So it's, it's nuts. Um, and I'm so like in awe of that. Um, and it's become increasingly important 
um, along with this like personal reflection that, you know, we've discussed mm -hmm. earlier of giving news from a Central American perspective. Um, even, you know, we, we, we choose the news that is um, what we feel is like, okay, the must haves of what everyone is talking about, but also then highlighting news that no one is talking about what we feel is mm -hmm. important. And that's where I think we make like a big difference um and highlighting the that kind of um yeah and those kinds of news or lesser known from lesser known but still trustworthy media um in in, in central america so so yeah that's that's what that's what happened and i'm so like yeah i'm so so happy like we we have a very diverse audience so we have a lot of people uh of the central american diaspora following us which is amazing that's awesome <laughs> I'm so, yeah. And yeah, you're the ones who show us most love, <laughs> like sending us emails and stuff. And no, oh, man, we love you guys. Um, and then we have like a lot of like people, like, let's say, I don't know, people working in institutions, organizations or law offices, um, public institutions. Like we've had, we've, we have people signing up from states, like U.S. state people like okay and also belgian mm -hmm. state or embassies or people from asylum offices you know keeping up so i'm like whoa so that's that's really good to branch out um and you know share share these central american news with a central american pers central american perspective actually you can call it like central american perspectives maybe even <laughs> but yeah to uh to to most people possible yeah i i mean that is Amazing. I love the team they have. Um, I feel like I would probably have interviewed, I think, once or two people from Central American News here. I think twice, two or three. I don't know. I probably had lots of care. But um, I love Central American News. I know, you know, not only for how resource, resourceful, I think that's a word, right? Uh, it is um, that, you know, I can have in my email, email and then it's like, I, you know, I go and click and I read it and, or I have in my Instagram, if I don't have time, you guys have a podcast. So it's, you know what I mean? Like I can have it anywhere. Um, and it's like, in the podcast is like, you know, it's, it's a summary of what you guys have in the, in the newsletter, which is, I don't, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. Um, especially from coming from someone that, like I said, I'm not going to go buy a newsletter, newsletter, a newspaper and like try to read. And also is because most of the those news are coming from Central America. They're not coming from U.S. media. You know what I mean? And even, you know, we, we will talk about the Central American <laughs> media newsletter, the newspapers and all that. But I honestly think that in. I'm very, very happy that you're being a resource not only for the diaspora, um, but also for those organizations that sometimes that they need to listen to stories and the news from our perspective and kind of be more understandable. Because I, like you said, when we read about the caravans, there's only como un solo hay una cara. They only show one face. And again, it was very stereotypical. It's very um you know they still have those words that will denigran a un ser humano just for emigrar and that's like that shouldn't be happening even in journalism um when in reality if you're gonna tell a story you have to tell it from you know especially yes yeah like the word migrant yeah. surge that we used very recently it was this year they started this migrant surge word was everywhere New mm -hmm. York Times, BBC, like even like you would say, okay, media that's a bit more like quote unquote progressist or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like using the. I was like, what? And that's when you. And that's when you see that you know. And sometimes I would use like automatically, and then I'm like, like, no, what the hell? What is this? No, yeah. because you would not refer to. This is where the Central American perspective comes from, because you you do not mm -hmm. refer to your family and friends as a surge. No, that is impossible mm -hmm. you know there's like a moral like dilemma and that's how the language that we use whether we think about it or not is so 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 important to shape our narratives and therefore our worldviews in our world mm -hmm. yeah 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 and this uh, you know one of the words that you probably hate that word because i hate it when i when i when i'm reading something doesn't matter where from what 
media it is. But if I read that, I'm already getting out and I'm going to continue reading it because that's it. Is that word alien? Oh, yes. I cannot stand that word. What is I that? I am like, I, exactly. I, if I'm reading something and someone who's immigrant, I'm reading something about X, Y, and C. Illegal if I see alien. that word, yeah. Oh, when I see that word, I'm getting out. I'm not reading continue because for me, that is that is a factor that the news will not be the person who wrote it is not very I don't know I can go so on about the word but that word completely turns me off and I'm like no this is it I'm not reading it next article let me try to find it because I it's like what is that from where did people started using that one and I know some people are like oh it's starting to be I think taken out of the vocabulary I think they said here and I don't know but I just know like whoever like said like that's okay I'm not gonna say you said family other alien what (laughs) no that is very dehumanizing that is like well it's literally dehumanizing (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) literally Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so the language that you use when telling stories and writing narrative either you know an article either uh, you you know um even as a newsletter a blog or anything the language you use like especially coming from media coming from all the people's stories people who actually like if you're writing something that is actually happening the language plays a huge role huge role like if we say oh it's a migrant crisis it would sound so different if you just see from different perspectives, mm-hmm. you know, oh, no, maybe it's a xenophobia crisis mm-hmm. or, you know, an ecological crisis or, I don't know, a moral crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just so many, you know, facets and that completely dismissed in, in, in journalism because they're always written by the same people <laughs> or very often mm-hmm. written by the same people. Or even if you have people from a diverse background, people of color or LGBTQ people, you know, entering little by little that workforce, which is awesome. You know, you still have the editors up there kind of like controlling what you have to say or the media or you're in self, like you you study this. And so you think that you have to do this. And it's like, Mm -hmm. it takes a long time to deconstruct all of that and, you know, and, and reclaim the power of the narrative. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like it's very good to focus on that, you know, like of making sure the language and how you guys are telling Central American news is reading in a more um, human perspective. Another thing that, you know, I told you that I wanted to kind of to go more in depth about what is the Central Americans? Um, there's this feeling of La Prensa Bandida. And this is something I grew up listening in Honduras and here. And some people true. don't, yeah. <laughs> and don't, and like, you know, exactly. And then some people don't don't read the news due to that narrative. And I will include myself to that. I will only read narrative from my country and from Central America, either from you guys or from like a certain uh, news uh, media format that I will trust, you know, because I will not trust not even the main ones. Um, and how did Central American news change that perspective, especially? on the Central American diaspora? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. That's a really good question. I'm not sure, like, because we haven't had an echo about this, actually. Uh, so it's really good that you bring it up. I can only imagine that, well, first, like like you said, there's an element of trust, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you see our the, 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 the way we write things, the, the news itself that we curate, that we share week after week, it's, it builds a relationship, mm-hmm. I get, you know, between us and, and the reader and little by little, well, they start to trust us. And there's a basic trust relationship mm-hmm. that has to form. And what I want to say with that as well is that I'm not the only one, you know, doing this newsletter. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we have a whole team uh, there, uh, 10, 10 plus people and, Eight, eight, eight news curators and then other people working on different stuff. Um, and, and all the news, they, they choose it. So it's by definition going to be um, diverse because of different people choosing the different news per country or, per, or for migration, for example, or the good reads that they're going to choose, which are like more long form reads or opinion pieces. That's not me really, usually like really 
90, 90% of the time. That's not me. That's really just them. Mm-hmm. I'm there to edit, you know, um, put into shape and then see what to highlight every week. But mm-hmm. the bulk of it, it's really their work. Um, and so you can see that, you know, they put a lot of their, you know, effort in, in creating uh, the news. You know, the creating is like really like an art creator. Like the, the word came from there, actually. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Like it came like you pick and choose mm-hmm. um, what you what you, what you want to share. And we use like a diverse um, array of sources for, for for the for the newsletter. So we have sources, for example, ranging from people. I know now we some some of the news curators. It actually depends a lot on the country because the press, mm-hmm. the state of the press, and the press ecosystem differs so much from country to country. It's not the same mm-hmm. as reporting news from Belize than is from Nicaragua than El Salvador or Honduras, mm-hmm. you know, etc. So. It's so, so different. So everyone adapts, right? So for example, in Salvador, okay, we know we can trust um, El Faro for a robust uh, reporting, but then, you know, in Honduras, we know we can re- trust Contra Corriente, but also mm-hmm. we trust a lot um, uh, local, let's say, sometimes even NGOs in the case of Honduras, for example, um, like or Jesuit-led um, radio station Radio Progreso. Radio Progreso, yeah. You know, we trust them mm-hmm. because we know that, you know, they're, they're doing intellectually honest work. Um, uh, or, you know, in Guatemala, Prensa Comunitaria, which is, you know, press, um, it's a, like a federation of, of press and, and journalists, of um, community and uh, indigenous journalists. Mm-hmm. So, you know, using diverse um, sources, not only, though, very local sources, sometimes national sources, when you need to, I know I don't trust them completely either. It would just be mm-hmm. for like, okay, quickly what happened, but it depends mm-hmm. for what you use it for. Because uh, like you said, Prensa Vendida, it's for, it's for a reason why they call it that mm-hmm. way. Because usually mainstream national press in Latin America in general is very tied to the economic and political elites, mm-hmm. um, especially economic. But so... And of course, then the narratives that they share. Well, they don't cover everything. Like I remember a mm-hmm. press from Honduras, like the news, like they did a whole article of, on the birthday of like this big economic uh, magnet. I forgot his name. And I was like, they did a whole article about him, about his birthday. Like seriously. <laughs> so then you can see the economic tie that they're having, right? Mm-hmm. So I get it why they say that. But then we also use like sometimes international media, you know, like BBC or Reuters. You know, to fill in the gap sometimes if we need it or so yeah so we we use like a very diverse range of sources and yeah. our readers h- h- hold us accountable which is awesome uh so shout out to our readers and subscribers um like just last week it was like two weeks ago we shared the news from from El Salvador who was actually very smelly <laughs> of being fake <laughs> Um, and so a reader pointed out to us and we were like, oh my gosh, yes, it's true. Going, if you go deep into the research and you find out mm-hmm. this, this news does not sound very, um, credible. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about a survey of among the Salvadoran diaspora of them supporting President Bukele or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so we we're like, oh, okay, thank you so much. And we share that publicly, you know, being like anyone can fall for less credible or aka fake news or mm-hmm. you know ever there's done on purpose or not but yeah so we really want to be like open and honest about these things and it can happen to anyone and that's how i hope that you know we build trust all, as well with our audience yeah i think that uh i mean you said contra corriente ese es el otro que yo confío de honduras <laughs> i don't even trust the, the main one which i had let out um, because of the same reason um, but it's true what you said um, how and then this, I'm going to put an example of Nicaragua you know like the Ortega regime and all that they own I'm not if I'm honest probably 99.9% of the media so it is hard when you trying to get news from as perspective of you know of those who are being oppressed by this regime when the news are the news outlet there tv station radio station are mostly paid by them and yeah. Honduras, te digo lo mismo. 
Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's it's hard. It's hard. And building trust of of it, it's I would just say it's hard too. And for me, and I, this is gonna be my honest opinion, how I build trust with Central American News is seeing a group of people that are from Central America or the set of some or has a connection to Central America sharing news from the whole region. And then those people, like say, for example, from Honduras, you have someone from Honduras, from Panama, you have someone from Panama, from El Salvador, from Belize, from, you know, having someone have tied to that country is super important because for me, as you know, here in the podcast, I, I know I can talk so much about Honduras, you know, but when it comes to El Salvador, Panama, Costa Rica, I have to do my research because I'm not knowledgeable about that. And sometimes that's why creating episodes, sometimes like it takes longer when it comes to other country for the same reason, because I'm, I'm not going to be here and then hablar de lo que me salga, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's something that I really appreciate that from, from you guys, that you guys are choosing those news but the people who are choosing those news are either have a connection or something with the country that they're working from. Um, and that I really appreciate that. And also how you said how you are like your platform. I'm going to talk about the Instagram and in the, the newsletter, of course, but um, you guys, like if someone tells you, like, like, like I said, like the person who commented about the, the news from El Salvador, you guys will say it publicly. You're not going to hide it. You're not going to say, oh, like, pues nadie notó el error. We're just going to leave it like that. You know what I mean? Um, and that's something that I have a problem with. Um, so, it was it's a platform in Honduras. Because I have commented on them and you be like, the language, the this, I can show you. I wrote when you know when Simone Biles um decided to not compete anymore because of mental thing mm-hmm. they wrote when I'm telling you they wrote Simone Biles se sale la competencia porque tiene demonios en la cabeza I'm not kidding I am what? not kidding oh I am gosh. not kidding and I wrote a whole paragraph I was like this is the reason I don't trust the I was I went off because it's like what who would you do that? You know what I mean? And no personal yeah, apology yeah. on that. No personal apology. I mean, I'm not asking for an apology, but no apology at all of having an Instagram post and a whole reading thing with that title. Nothing. And I would just like recall something that I know I saw. Like, you know, I think it was one time where uh, the new like, Central Media News didn't have a section for the Belize part. Yeah. And then I remember seeing that and I was like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? I feel like having someone who like said to me like, okay, that was her mistake and say it publicly is like, oh, I can trust you, you know, because you're not going to hide. You're not going to be like, oh, I made a mistake. And so what? Nobody noticed or whatever. It's just, yes. the, you know? <laughs> yes. I remember with someone, I think it was Rachel or I forgot her name from, uh, Ah, uh-huh. yes um podcast and, and she was like hey like yeah you should have like a, a section for Belize and Panama etc it was like years ago right mm-hmm. I was like beginning and, and I was like yes she is right <laughs> we mm-hmm. should have um, more representation of Belize and Panama and I'm going to use this opportunity to say that we are looking mm-hmm. for news curators for Belize and Panama specifically <laughs> right now Go for so it. we're <laughs> accepting applications no, go for it. Yeah. Sure. Anyone wants to join the team? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, definitely. I feel that that's so like, it's a good opportunity. Even if you're not in journalism, you want to keep up with the news. For sure. Almost no one is in journalism in our team. Like, we have like, yeah, all kinds of profiles and people doing different awesome stuff. And this is me telling you. That's how. I build trust to you guys. I don't know some about other people, but I know <laughs> that <laughs> within that diaspora, that's why I know like whatever I see in the in my email and Instagram or listen to my podcast uh, in the podcast, I know it's it's true, and I'm I'm 
I can easily share it, you know, without having to go double check because I do that with so many. I go double check the sources <laughs> before I share anything on my social media. I go double check. Yeah. But with you guys, I can like I can trust you guys, and I have. Thank you so much for your trust, Alejandra. No, of course, you know, like it doesn't like you guys do a lot of work having to keep up with news and bringing it like access, having accessible because that's something that is not accessible for everyone, you know. Um, so with this, um, I wanted to ask you, do you have any plans for Central American news in the future? Anything coming up or nothing? Ah, uh, yes. So, uh, <laughs> great, great question. <laughs> no, but yeah, as, as I mentioned, like we're all volunteers um, on Central American News. And um, so I kind of like want everyone to have like a limited amount of, of time that they work on it every week. Mm -hmm. And I'm very, very respectful, like, or try to be the most respectful I can with, uh, with them as well as human beings and having their own lives and mental space and mental health and all of that. Mm -hmm. So, Um, so if that means we have to like have a slower and steadier growth, well, that's what it is. Um, mm -hmm. and so we're kind of like cruising right now. <laughs> um, and our goal is to continue, continue what we're, what, what we're doing. And so we're always like super open to new projects. Like for example, the podcast project was, um, mm -hmm. built by someone from the team and being like, Hey, I'm just gonna like, go for it. Like, that's what I want. So anyone who is interested in joining the team for other purposes as well, not only for news curation, you are so welcome. Like I want it to be like an open and welcoming space for anyone who wants to develop creatively, um, you know, their projects, multimedia projects or any kind of thing, even business-wise, like I'm, I'm open for that as well. If you know, you know, for us to be able to maybe grow and, you know, start paying our, ourselves for our labor and all of that mm -hmm. but yeah for now i'm like really like yeah careful <laughs> of uh i'm not burning in anyone out including myself so this is like yeah important for me mm -hmm. definitely and i know you guys do an amazing service of love to all of us our community and i want to tell everyone that they do have a patron the patron yes yeah. <laughs> i was like girl if you don't say that <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to say it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh I, i i don't know how much is it here but go check them out um it's as a four dollar it's as a one dollar in the yeah. dollar okay yeah you see at one dollar a month and we'll support the not only the work of melissa but the amazing team that she has and again just like she said if you want to be a creator of panama and belize right panama mm -hmm. and belize hit her up and she was looking for volunteers and also if you guys want to be part of it you know just hit her up um i'm so happy to see the central making news letter newsletter and news uh <laughs> grow and i'm here to see yes. where you guys you know hopefully the podcast will um will grow as well we kind of um for now mm -hmm. put on pause the, the weekly podcast but hopefully mm -hmm. in the future we can have more um like investigation type of, you know like pure journalism podcast mm -hmm. of uh, creating content create like yeah. creating report reportage mm -hmm. this big word but mm -hmm. just like doing reporting Uh, mm -hmm. on, on different lesser known things from Central America like the sedes on Honduras or like what mm -hmm. the hell is going on we, we have no one news but we know it's there but like no, <laughs> no one mm -hmm. knows like yeah um, you know in, in different aspects like that so um, hopefully that can that can kick off soon yeah yeah and then if you listen to this go follow it and go subscribe to their podcast that way they can when, once they come back you're, you're ready there they'll notify you <laughs> Spotify and Apple Podcast will notify you when they come back but yeah um, I'm so happy and honored to have you here and again I probably have to repeat this too many times but um, thank you for everything thank you for your whole team that does um, Central American News um, even the I, I know you have a section for like the migration here like all that girl keeps me up every single Monday or Tuesday, I think Monday or Tuesday sometimes. Um, so thank you for everything. And hopefully I'm not only speaking for myself, but for the whole community that follows you. Thank you so much, Alejandra. And thank you to uh, Central American News team. I, like I told them I was going <laughs> to speak with you today. Like, yeah. <laughs> But yes, thank you. Thank you to the team. Thank you to you. Thank you to um, your audience and, and Central American News readers as well.
Oh, I love your team. I have had talked with some of them. They're so amazing. You need to talk with them. You need to talk with them. Yeah, I know. I think I have interviewed, like I said, two or three. But con Galilea, I have hablado bastante. But just DM, you know what I mean? And like, I'm so, like, I, I'll continue to say, so thankful for all your team and, and you for everything. So um, thank you for, you know, again, all the work and for having a trust Musical platform for every one of us. But if you have, um, you want to say anything else at the end, tell them where to follow you, where to support, anything. Yes, <laughs> follow Central American News. So, like, like <laughs> I'm, I'm taking also like a, I'm rethinking a lot of social media. So mm-hmm. personally, but please, 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 please go check us out on on Twitter at Central American uh, News. Um, and also on Instagram, Centam News, Central American News. Mm-hmm. I think Centam mm-hmm. News is for Twitter, Central American News for Instagram. You just put Central 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 American News and you'll see us. We're also on Facebook, on LinkedIn as well, if you're uh, more on LinkedIn too. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and also if you put Central American News um, newsletter or review uh, in Google, you should be able to find the, the newsletter itself and subscribe. Yeah. Yeah, and I will have them linked down below in my notes. I will have the, everything in my notes. So if you're so lazy <laughs> <sorry, laughs> to go find it, it will be in the notes where you can subscribe subscribe to the newsletter newsletter to their podcast, to follow them on Instagram, Twitter. And I didn't know you had to have it linked in. <laughs> but I will link it down below. <laughs> yes, yeah. like really, like come join us. Like even if you want to create like Central American News on TikTok or I don't know. There's so oh, much stuff so to fun. do. There's so much stuff to do. And like I know you all are a creative bunch, so, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. If you like to support this podcast and my work, you can donate through our website or become a patron. Don't forget to check our website at centralamericanvoices.com where you can subscribe to our mailing list. Follow us on Instagram at Centam Voices Podcast and on Twitter at Centam Voices Pod. Like and follow our Facebook page where you can join the Central American Voices Facebook group. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel where we're going to continue sharing these episodes as a video format. But don't forget to come back for our next episode.